Yes, we turn to First Thessalonians chapter 1 and just keep it out. We'll read it uh, later on. Just a thing that came in during the week to me. Uh, there was a survey carried out by the Presbyterian Church in America. And this guy sent me a, a little bit about it. And they'd asked a question. Uh, the question was, do you agree that only followers of Jesus Christ can be saved? And they pointed out that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Another verse was, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. And uh, the, the chap who sent it to me said that 71%, 71% agreed with the question. And the next day he sent me another little note saying, I got it wrong. It was 71% didn't agree. So 71% of the pastors within the church did not agree that Jesus was the only way of salvation, that there was salvation outside. Uh, it's quite staggering. That's the way things are going. He read it the first time, and he said, gosh, 71, that's, that's still those 29%, that's terrible. But it was the other way around. 71% didn't agree with the question. And it, it makes you think that that's the way things are going. And that's the way things are going to go. And we only have to look around at what's happening in our own churches to see the problem. Last week we started to look at conversion, didn't we? And we, we went through it to see why is it necessary? Why is it necessary to be converted? To be born again? Why? And we saw that the, the reason is that Jesus said it. Because Jesus said it, it is important. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we saw that the apostles preached it. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So if Jesus said it and the apostles preached it, we need to be converted. The world needs Jesus. If we are to escape the eternal hell that scripture teaches about, we must be converted. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. He told people the truth. He called hypocrites hypocrites. He called sinners sinners. He called those religious leaders who are leading the people astray sons of the devil not very uh, pleasant thing to be told and we need to tell people they need to be saved they need to be born again they need to be converted but today we do not want to disturb people we don't want to use biblical language you have people like those in Willow Creek who say biblical language you know you have a survey you find out what the people want in, 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 in a church and then you sort of create the church to meet the, the, the results of your survey. It's the wrong way around. And we have easy conversions, easy believism in things like Alpha and others. You know, we all want to be liked. That's what we said. I, I want to be liked. 
you want to be liked. No one want, does. Nobody doesn't uh, likes not to be liked. But Jesus said, "It's the other way round. If you follow me, the world will hate you." He he said he came to divide families. And the world needs to be converted, turned from their evil ways. In Zechariah, we saw it said. Be ye not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. And God still says that. The world needs to be converted and need, needs to be made aware. Someday we saw that everybody has to meet God. Either we meet God now as a father who has sent his son into the world to save sinners or the judgment seat, the great white throne when those who have rejected the offer of salvation will be cast into hell. It's, not, it's a solemn subject we said last week. It's not turning over a new leaf, it's conversion. To be converted. To turn oneself about. That's what it is. We saw that why was it necessary. That's what we said. And then we looked briefly at what actually it is. A little bit more about what it is. So let's read First Thessalonians chapter 1. And we read the whole chapter. Paul and Silvanus. Paul and Silas and Timothy unto the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to you, to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Acacia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every part, in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. We look through this chapter and see if we can see a little bit more as to 
what conversion actually is. What happened to these people in Thessalonians? Now, if you go back to Acts 17, you'll see what happened. I'm not going to go there, but you can read it. Another thing you can read when you go home. <laughs> uh, they, the Paul and, and, and uh, Silas and Timothy uh, went to Thessalonica. And there was a riot, and Paul was whisked away, and Timothy and Silas stayed on. Very brave because there was a, a big uproar and the person whose house they were staying in was taken before the magistrates and he was let out on bail and there was, there was terrible trouble and it was stirred up by many of the Jews, the religious Jews, when uh, they arrived. So they, they were all involved, these three men, in, in setting up the church in Thessalonica. And so the three of them are, are writing, although the, the letter is obviously dictated by, by Paul himself. But it's nice that he included the others into it. How was this church held together in Thessalonica? Was it held together by Paul or was it held together by Silas or Timothy? How was it all bonded together? It's interesting actually, if you look, it says it in, in the first verse. Uh, unto the church of the Thessalonians which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was bonded together in, in, by, by God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, going back to what Jesus said in, in John, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That church in Thessalonica was in the hands of the Lord Jesus, but it was also in the hands of God, because Jesus went on to say, My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. This is a, a living example of the church as to what Jesus said it was going to be like when people came to him in faith. The church in Thessalonica was bonded together through God and through the, the Lord Jesus Christ. How caring Paul was and how Timothy and Silas for, for the, the, the converts, the new converts. He says here, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And throughout scripture, he says this again when he's writing to the Philippines. He says, I thank my God for, upon every remembrance of you. In another verse he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. They gave him a thrill. When he thought about the people who had been converted, it thrilled them, and he remembered them before God. In, in, in Colossians, he says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you. He was always, they were always on his mind. That's why he wrote all these letters. The reason we have most of the epistles is because Paul had this desire to, to write to these churches that he planted here and there to keep them on the right track. And thank God he did because we have all those teaching epistles in the scriptures as a result of that. Oh, may we be sympathetic and, and always to others who are in the faith. Now, he sets out how they became believers how they were born again, how they were converted. In three, he gives a fantastic character reference for these Thessalonians. You know, you're writing out a, a reference for somebody. I remember 
a boss of mine, uh, I was leaving him and I was going to work for somebody else and I said I'd like a reference. And he says, write it out and I'll have a look at it. <laughs> and it's a different thing when you write out your own reference uh, rather than getting it from somebody else. You, pr you tell fewer lies, I suppose, when you write out your own reference. You know, I didn't see this guy's a genius. And, oh, no, I, I told the truth. And he signed it. <laughs> and I got the other job, so it must have been all right. But look at what he says about them in, in, chapter, in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Your work of faith. They had a living faith. And you know, unless our faith... And this is what James is all about. Unless our faith produces works, it's a dead faith. If we say we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it must express itself in our lives and what we do and what we say. I used to do open air meetings. I remember I said this before in Dublin years ago. And the Legion of Mary and people like Catholic Action thing used to come along and shout things at us as we, as we preached or sought to preach. And one of the things they always shouted was, faith without works is dead. What they meant was that they had to work their way to obtain their faith. But that's not what it means. It means that unless you have a faith which produces works, it's a dead faith. So if you say you have a faith, let me see your works. To prove that what you have inside is what you, is, you're doing on the outside. But it worked here, didn't it? Their work of faith. What they were doing was because of their faith. And then he goes on to say, And your labor of love... Oh yes, they had a love for, for, for others around them and that produced, that was evident. There's a, there's a verse which says in, in one of the paraphrases, not just, don't just say you love somebody, show it by your actions. Show it by your actions. And then he says, you've got patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yes, it changed them, didn't it? They had an expectancy. They had a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before they had no hope. They were out without God and without hope in the world. And now they had a hope. A faith that produced a hope. A living hope. And as we said many times, it wasn't a hope like you say, uh, people on a Saturday when they buy the, the lottery ticket, they hope they'll win. Well, that's a uh, fatuous thing. We have a certain sure hope in God. It's a living hope, a living faith, and a living love. And it was all done, he says, in the sight of God the Father. They were living their lives in the knowledge that Jesus, that God the Father was in control, that he was looking down. We were singing these choruses with the kids. Watch your eyes, watch your eyes, what they see. God is looking down. And he sees us. Are, are you outworking your Christian faith in the sight of God and the Father for his glory? And then we go on to verses 4 and 5. You know, he, he explained to them that you, they had been chosen by God. They were special. They had been chosen by God. How did this happen? How did it all happen? Let's look at verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, 
but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. We came, he said, and we just didn't preach the word. Yes, they preached the word of God. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. You know, there is a danger, isn't there? We need to be careful that we, when we're talking and speaking, that we're not just putting together a lot of words in the right grammatical sense, if possible, and making it sound nice. That's not enough. That happens so often, doesn't it? We just say the words. Say the right things. No, it says, they preach the word in power and in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit was there bringing the words to fruition. And unless we, unless we believe that, unless we, we preach in the power and in the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our words will just be empty words. They'll just be empty words. The Holy Spirit, He is the one who will convict. In, in John 16 and verse 8, And when He comes, Jesus said, that is the Holy Spirit, the Comforter He was talking about, He will convict, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. It's the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. He will touch the hearts and the lives of the people. He is the one. No matter what I say on myself, or any speaker says of themselves, they can speak for hour upon hour, but if the Holy Spirit isn't there to convict, they're just empty words. But Jesus said, when he comes, he will be the one who will convict of sin. Of righteousness. Of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of what he has done for you and for me. That's what he does. He convicts people as to who Jesus Christ is. Convicts them of the sin in their lives that they need to be converted to turn from that sin. Of the righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ and of God. And of the judgment to come. Because if we do not repent, if we do not heed the, 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 the urgings and promptings of the Holy Spirit, we will face judgment. And that's what Jesus said, that the duty of the Holy Spirit, one of his duties is. And then he goes on and says, we preach with much assurance. Much assurance. So often we hear people preaching, on, listen to the radio and things, they preach about God, and they, but they haven't got the assurance of the, the, the truths of the scriptures that they're preaching about. And unless we have that assurance within ourselves, which is a God-given assurance, and the apostles had that, they preached with assurance. They preached with assurance and conviction. And he says, well, there's no point in me saying all this. He says, you know what we're like. You know, you know us. He says, you know what manner of men we were when we were there. They caused an uproar with their preaching. They caused riots. Because they preached the truths of God with assurance, in the power of the Spirit, and with conviction. 
you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, he says. Oh, yes. There's a thought I had there. Yes, Paul. Paul, when he was writing, in, in, it says that he, he failed not to preach the full counsel of God. They didn't cut their cloth just to suit their, their, their people that were listening. And that's the problem. A lot of the, the new evangelicals, it's not so much what they, they say is wrong, it's what they don't say. And if we start trying to cut down because we don't want to offend people, we find that our gospel is getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And it is the, the people who uphold the truths or seek to uphold the truths who are narrowing down in order not to offend people. The word was preached. The Holy Spirit was there to convict of sin. And he says, you believed. You believed what we said. And he goes on to say, you believed it with much affliction. In verse 6, having received the word in much affliction, yes, if we are being prompted and the Holy Spirit is working as the message is preached, we will have affliction because the message will convict us of our sin. And we have to get rid of that. We have to turn from God, from idols to God, as we shall see later. The Holy Spirit was there to convict and it caused great anguish. And if we are convicted of sin in our lives, it will cause great anguish of spirit. We sang that hymn, didn't we? Uh, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my sin rolled away. Remember when we were kids, a, a guy used to come to our little Tuesday kids meeting and he had slides and a magic lantern and he had Pilgrim's Progress and he had all these giant despairs and the, the slow of despond and all, but it all came to a, a climax when Christian came to the cross and he had this big burden on his back which was a, indicative of sin and he looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame I always used to think on those little slides but when he came to the cross this burden rolled away away down the hill disappeared and that's what happened to these people that burden was lifted and look what happened it says in verse 6 with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Ah, the, 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 the burden was relieved and they received that joy in their hearts. John 17, when Jesus was praying to his Father in the, uh, before his, 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 his crucifixion, he says, Now I come to thee, talking to God, and these things I speak in the world. And he's talking about you and me because he said this prayer was not just for the disciples at that time but for those who would come to faith later on. That's you and me if we've accepted Christ. And he says that they might have my joy fulfilled in them. The joy that he had. He wants it fulfilled in you and me. That's why he came. So that we might have joy. And you became joyful followers of the Lord. That's what it's saying. They were joyful. These people were not miserable. Even though they had affliction, they were joyful. In Jude, it says, 
Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We've been looking at why John wrote his, his gospel that they might know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and he wrote the epistles. One of the reasons why he wrote his epistle was that he might know that he can have eternal life. But he also wrote the epistle and he says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Oh, that we would know that joy in our hearts through trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen. Paul is, is saying something here to, to these people. How did this conversion affect their lives? Paul had to make an announcement and tell everybody around that these people had been converted. No, no, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. Look at verse 7 and 8. So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Acacia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad. So that we do not need to speak anything. They'd taken over. There now was a church. And these Christians were joyful. And they were telling everybody about it. And everybody knew about it. And then he says. For they themselves show. What manner of entering in we had among you. He says all these reports are just proof of your salvation, of your conversion. There are those reports. Everybody's talking about you. Because they had got that joy in their lives. It showed itself in their sanctification. What is sanctification? We've looked at that a few weeks ago. Separation of the holy and the profane. Separation from it. For the use of God. That's what happens to us when we're converted. We're separated. For the use of God. And you know this is real conversion. This is what happened to these people. This was real conversion. How they turned to God. From idols. Oh they, they lived in a city. Where idol worship was rife. Temple prostitutes. All that. To turn oneself about. They had turned from idols. People noticed a change in their lifestyles. No more hanging around the heathen temples. That was gone. They'd gone away from that. People were talking about what had happened to them. You know... My life, I say I'm a Christian. Can anyone see a change in my behavior? People were talking about these people because they had changed. Do my appetites remain the same? The pleasures that I enjoyed before I became a Christian, do they, are they just the same? Have I changed? These people had left their idols behind them. They turn from their idols. If I join the army. People notice when I'm in the army. I'm different. 
wear a different uniform. We have joined God's army. Are we different? <coughs> if I join myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, do people notice? You know, the interesting thing is people are looking for a change. People, people expect a change. The world expects a change. They notice. It doesn't say we become a lot of old weirdos and, 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 and odd. No. We become more like Jesus. That's what he wants us to be. More like him. More like Jesus, this my song in the home and in the throne. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. They turned to God from idols. That wasn't it. They turned from God to idols to serve the living God. So many people, you've seen it so often, they, they try to turn over a new leaf. They turn from wicked ways. It doesn't work. They have to turn from idols to serve the living God. That's what it is. Jesus told the parable, didn't he? He told the story in, in Luke 11. When the, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he finds it swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. The picture of a man trying to, to, to clear his own life out in his own strength. Doesn't work. Spring cleaning by ourselves of our lives doesn't work. People need to turn to idols, from idols, turn from idols to serve the living and true God. That's the secret. And an idol doesn't necessarily mean a carved thing stuck in the corner. Idols can be anything. You know that hymn it says, Whatever idol I possess, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from its throne and worship only thee. We all have idols. Get rid of those idols. Give ourselves wholeheartedly to God. And then, we're nearly finished. Their horizons and their future hope was all changed. They had a new outlook on life. What does it say? 10. And to wait for the Son, His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Oh, yes. They now had a future hope. Jesus was going to come back. And that their whole life was now looking forward to Jesus coming back. To look forward to Jesus coming back. They live their lives that way. And you know some of these people. Because they had, some of their Christian friends had died. They were so worried. What had happened to those people? The Lord Jesus hadn't come back. And Paul wrote this epistle basically. And, and the second epistle. To, to encourage these people. And to tell them. What had happened to those people. But they were so bound up in the thought that Jesus was coming back. That was all they, they, they're looking forward to. Him. People will tell us that we have to go through tribulation and things. What does it say here? 
because he has delivered us from the wrath to come. We know that someday Jesus is going to come and take us from this world. And we look forward to it. What did Jesus say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Just finally in closing. You know, we, we come here this morning and you say, that's, that's alright. I've been converted. I, I've, I've been born again. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. But I, I, I haven't got that joy that you're talking about. I haven't got it. I want to, to have more power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I haven't got it. When I speak to others, I find it difficult. My words seem to fall on deaf ears. Just turn very quickly to Second Chronicles. Chapter 29. And only a couple of verses. And I won't, I won't honestly keep you much longer. But this is important. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25. A young man setting out to reign on these people, this, this, this back wayward people. And he, 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 he read this uh, chapter later. But chapter 29, he, he brought in many temple reforms. Things had gone bad. Things were terrible. And he said, I'm going to have to do something about it. And so, and so, in verse 11, he says to these people, he's trying to encourage them to get things sorted out with God. And you read all the things he'd done. The, the, the doors had been shut at the temple. The temple had been uh, gone into disrepair, and, and everything was in a terrible state. But he says, now, my sons, he says, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Now we talked a few weeks ago about holy priests. That we are priests. And our job is to serve before the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you are your job. God hath chosen you to stand before him. And as Christians, that's what he wants us to do. To stand before him, to serve him, to offer sacrifices of praise and worship to him. And so, in verse 15, he goes on to say, What happened as a result of his talk to them? And they gathered their brethren, and sanctified themselves, and came according to the commandment of the king, by the words of the Lord, to cleanse the house of the Lord. They gathered their brethren, they sanctified themselves, they came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is saying to me this morning, Sanctify myself according to the command of the king of kings. Get rid of all the dross in my life. 
Get rid of all those things which are hanging around. Turn from the idols. Cleanse the house of the Lord. His temple. My life. It says, be ye holy. For I am holy. We're going to come before the Lord in the breaking of bread. In a few moments. And he says. In 1 Corinthians 11. Let every man. Examine himself. Let every man. Examine himself. I cannot do it for you. And you cannot do it for me. We have to examine ourselves. Cleanse me from my sins Lord. Put thy power within Lord. Take me as I am and make me all thine own. Keep me day by day underneath thy sway. Make my heart thy palace. And thy royal throne. Amen. Yeah.